0: and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian
1: Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show we're going to talk a little about stream barring in wheat. And let's just put it this way, fertilizer applications in wheat. That's really our topic as we go through the show today. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the AgPHD mailbag in just one minute. Before we do, I just wanted to remind you that we do have the AgPHD Field Day coming up a mere three and a half months from now. <laughs> I know it's a ways off, but I I, I wanted to let you know, see so you put it on your calendar, because we'd love to see you there. It's a free event that we host each year to say thank you to you for listening to AgPHD Radio and watching AgPHD TV. The Egg PhD field day is right on our farm. It's a free event. It's Thursday, July twenty ninth twenty-eighth this year. Yeah, twenty-eighth. So it's always the last Thursday in July. That's the part I remember. Yeah, it's the twenty eighth this year. So anyway, just if you could mark on your calendar, Thursday, July twenty eighth. And I would say too, plan to come the night before, get into town, come in stay in Sioux Falls or one of the surrounding towns, and come out early, because we we will start at seven AM. And you might say, what? Why so early? I'll tell you why. Because mornings in South Dakota in the summer are usually, now don't hold me to this, but usually they're beautiful. It's like 60 degrees, maybe 65. It's awesome. We, at that time of the year, our average high temperature is only like 85 degrees or so. That's it. And that's late in the afternoon. So we we cover a lot of things even right away in the morning. We want to take you through our plots. Uh, there's lots of stuff to see, live equipment demos. Just it, It's going to be the biggest and best Ag PhD field day we've ever had. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. All right, let's get to the Ag
0: PhD Mailbag right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, first question comes from Rick in central South Dakota. And he said, guys, we did a variety of different cold germ type tests and just kind of curious what you would think about this particular seed and if they would pass the standards that you have for your farm. And Brian, I thought this is interesting. So they've got the regular standard cold test. And the reason that I like that standard cold test is it's very repeatable. We can send that same sample to multiple labs. They run the same protocols, and we get very similar results. Uh, the particular lab that they sent to was SODAC Labs in Brookings, South Dakota. And we use them, and too. They, they ran an NPK cold test. That's a different test that I don't know if anybody outside of SODAC Labs does that one, but they, they thought, okay, guys are planting, it's early, it's cold, and they're putting a little starter fertilizer out there, so this puts just a little bit of fertilizer into the test, too. So I like that one, and actually those results came out fairly similar to the standard cold test, and to me, that, that speaks highly of that seed that you must not have too many uh, cracks and those types of things where that fertilizer could have got in, but but they also ran a saturated cold test. They ran a 40-degree
2: 40 40 degree cold, cold test.
0: test. Mm-hmm. They did a bunch of different stuff. So I think it's really cool. And a couple of things I look at, I look at how many seeds were dead. That's that's a usually a bad thing. I mean, it's always a bad thing. You don't want to see dead seed. But then I look at what do you get for consistency across some of those tests. And to me, uh, it, it looks Well, like- wait a second. You said dead. The other things that you're going to look at
1: are slow and slow and abnormal. And those are the ones that I didn't really realize until I learned how to do germination tests almost 30 years ago, because we've had a germination lab here at Ag PhD for almost 30 years. And anyway, it's those slow and abnormal ones. So the dead... Obviously. Okay. Any fool can figure out, yeah, that's that's dead. That's, That's not growing. But it's the slow and the abnormal. So in other words, what's it take to be considered a normal seed and normal growth? So with the saturated cold, the point here is a lot of them were just slow. Some were abnormal and we don't like either, but when you look at all the other cold tests, the regular, the NPK and the 40 degree, the test levels were 90, 95% for the most part. There were a couple that hit in, down into the 60s, three that hit down into the 60s on the saturated cold test. Would that worry me that much? No, no, it would not.
0: All right, well thanks for the for the question and kudos to you guys for for running those tests too and trying to learn a little bit more about this particular topic. Okay, Brian, get this one in from Andrew and he said I'm going to put some sweet corn on for the first time doing conventional till. It's a relatively small area of land. But take a look at my soil test. Just curious what your thoughts are, if there are any recommendations you might have. Now, Brian, I want to point something out at the bottom because I know you're going to get to this in a minute. But look at some of those micronutrient levels. Some are super, super high. Some are super, super low in a very low CEC soil. So it's kind of an interesting test. Okay. It's a 4.3 CEC. So in
1: other words, it's basically pure sand. And that's the one big thing that I would say is, look, if you're going to try to raise sweet corn there, You certainly can. I'm not saying it's going to fail. What I'm saying is you probably better be having some irrigation out there or if it's dry for very long at all, then you're going to have some real problems. So other than that, I would say potassium is really low. That's the first thing that I would notice. I'm at 3.5% K on the base saturation test, but only 58 parts per million and 58 parts per million is not enough to cut it. You need more K. It, what Darren said, high micronutrients, it's really one, it's zinc that's a problem. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of iron, but that's no big deal. The zinc is 38. So in ratio, it's not a real great ratio on the phosphorus to zinc. Usually we like 10 to 1, maybe 8 to 1, something like that. And you're at about 3 to 1. It's 96 on the P1 phosphorus test to 38 on the zinc. So the the, the trouble is the crop doesn't take a lot of zinc out, So it's going to be years and years and years and years and years before you can ever get that zinc level down. So however the zinc got high before, quit putting zinc on. You don't need it. It's hurting your yield. That's problematic. But I would say in light soil, you have to be spoon feeding nitrogen, sulfur, and boron. So those I'd probably be putting on multiple times during the growing season and maybe even potassium, as light as that soil is, and if you decide to put water to that sweet corn
0: lots to talk about on our show today we're going to discuss stream barring wheat and fertility issues out there but we'll be taking your calls and agronomic questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD stay tuned
3: Farmers across the country are raving about Germinator closing wheels. Paul from New York says, I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more Germinator success stories, visit farmshopmfg.com.
4: This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
3: Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground.
4: Fight resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5VC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5VC has a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5VC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5 EC or visit Beltramusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: The St. 2 Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today and talking about stream barring in wheat. And when we talk about stream barring, for anybody that hasn't done that or doesn't really know what that concept's all about, uh, I, I kind of think of it like this. If you've got a sprayer and you've got every so often you have a spray nozzle and that's spraying a fan pattern out there and trying to cover everywhere where a stream bar just has uh, if you had no tip in there and you're just shooting a stream straight down, that's kind of what it's like. And If you've watched our show ever uh, or if you have YouTube uh, accessible right now, you could pop up a video from our show and see exactly what stream barring is all about. It's a pretty cool concept in wheat because you don't end up with lots of nitrogen landing on the leaves and burning leaves and you get it down to the ground where it can start getting in through the root system we've tried it in other crops uh, to varying degrees of success but certainly in wheat it's generally a pretty good idea it's a nice way to put nitrogen and other nutrients perhaps on uh, sit down to Alabama We got our friend Chad Henderson out with us Chad do you guys do stream burn down there
2: man yeah we uh we run we run a nozzle, you know, just a a a fan, not a fan, but just a stream type nozzle is what we run from high propane air. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of different and, ways to uh, do it.
2: It seems to work real well.
0: You know, when you think about it, uh, we're we're trying to get nitrogen out there primarily. Are you doing other nutrients through it too, or is it mainly just N?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, we always put some boron out and. Also, you know, it's never a bad time. You need to you could look also, but we can put a pyrethroid in as well and maybe clean up some et- aphids at time.
0: Yeah, aphids are no fun, and and they can be they can be a real problem depending on the year. What are you seeing for a growing yeah. season down there so far in Alabama?
2: It's been wet. I mean, it's dried up. We've uh, we've we've uh, planted about seven hundred and fifty acres of corn. Is about what we got planted, and we I think I've planted like four or five days. You know, total kind of half days, and and so we we've, we've been struggling, but it looks like it's gonna get dry after this rain It's coming tomorrow. So we got another one coming, you know. So it's 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 been a tough one for sure.
0: Yeah, we've we've been pretty dry here overall, but we've gotten just a little bit of moisture now, and haven't started planting up here yet. But I know uh, just about every farm you go to, the planter's ready, the seeds there. I
2: mean, as
0: soon as we get some sunshine yeah. and good conditions out, guys are gonna roll.
2: They'll be rolling. They'll be rolling. They sure will.
0: Hey, on the on the wheat with, with the in-season nitrogen mm-hmm. applications, do you have kind of a an amount of N and a timing that you say, hey, I'm going to save half yep. my nitrogen, I'm going to put it on at this time, or what kind of guidelines do you guys use?
2: But, so, so we run on, a, you know, we'll run on, look at our tillers and plant dates. You know, we'll look and see. If we planted a wheat real late, you know, when it was wet or late harvest and we planted it late, we may put it all out up front. You know, we're not up front, but but let's say the mid December range, we'll start in that in that area, and but most time we put out fifteen gallon. We will put out about twenty five to thirty five pounds up front prior to planting, and then we'll put about fifteen gallon of twenty eight double O five out, um, and add some boron to it. Usually anywhere from a quarter a quarter to a half a pound, and then we'll come back, you know, prior to flag leaf and put the other fifteen gallon out. So that gets us with a, you know, 120 or so, 125 pounds or units out. And then we'll make adjustments from there. It's kind of the way we go about
0: it. I certainly like the split shot approach. I like kind of feeding that crop as you need it. And you mentioned tillers and kind of controlling how that Mm -hmm. plant is growing. Because one thing about wheat, if you put all kinds of nitrogen out up front, uh, you're liable to see a whole different plant than if you kind of spoon feed it. And you won't necessarily get more yield.
2: Yep, and, and, it's, and it's really hard for me to grow wheat down here. You know, like I say, we're an hour and a half south of Nashville, and we never know what our winter's going to be uh, because it's not cold enough. You know, you get two or three weeks dry, uh, a hot or warm spell, I guess it is, in December, and your wheat will get away from you, you know. And so sure. we're kind of always trying to control it, you know, instead of being like some of the guys that are further north, and it kind of goes dormant. It's sure, done, you know, it's dormant. It's done. We're good you know, orange is in and out all year. And it's really uh, probably one of the tougher crops I grow to control. every time I push it, I end up getting it flat, you know. And then we go to the Palisade and, you know, other things if we try to push wheat really hard.
0: Yeah, it's really good to put things in perspective. That's a great way to describe it, Chad, because uh, our next guest is quite a ways north of you. So I'm going to be interested to hear what (laughs) he has to say about this. Uh, Chad, thank you so much. Really really appreciate having you on.
2: Man, yeah, enjoyed it. So,
0: yeah. You bet. Thank you. Uh, all right. Andy Gates, uh, way up north in North Dakota or uh, for the Canadian listeners, way, way, way down south in North Dakota, depending on how you look at it. Andy, uh, I'm assuming the snow is kind of coming through your area right now. Maybe you're not even thinking about stream bar and wheat at this time.
4: No, I. in fact, I don't think we've even pulled a sprayer out of a building yet. So it, it's going to have to warm up quite a bit before we do that.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it, but we get an opportunity to make some money on almost any crop that we raise this year. When, when it comes to raising wheat, and we're talking about nitrogen and in-season applications and that type of thing, how, how do you do nitrogen and wheat in your part of the world?
4: Well, right now we do about half with the drill up front with it, and then we'll come back with the balance, you know, that four or five leaf stage.
0: Sure, sure. And you know, here's one thing that Brian talks about a lot for us is, you know, man, those in-season nitrogen applications can make me nervous cuz if we don't catch rain, we don't we don't get the nitrogen into the plant. Now, at 4 or 5 leaf, you've got some time there to to get things in. Do you use stabilizers or do you just try and target it on a week where you think rain might be coming? How do you how do you handle that?
4: We normally we normally try to target it around rains and stuff like that. If we see some moisture in the forecast, we normally get after it, we get as much done as we can. So on that part of it, I guess we never have jumped into the stabilizers yet because we normally hope it doesn't sit there long enough for that. Right, right.
0: How about on corn? Do you do nitrogen all up front on corn? I know you guys have heavy ground. You typically don't get too much rain or, or do you try to split shot it in corn too?
4: We split shot it in the corn too. We put, normally put a lot of we put about 60 units in down with the planter and then we'll come back with the balance with the side dresser or wide drops or so on.
0: Sure, sure. Well, the big question, whenever I talk to anybody from North Dakota, we get a lot of, a lot of people saying, hey, whenever you're talking to any of those guys in North Dakota, ask them what crop they're going to plant because they really can switch a lot of acres up there. So what's the word in your part of North Dakota? Is it lots of corn this year? Is it lots of canola? What what are guys going to be raising?
4: i think there's going to be a lot of canola in the area and I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of beans. I mean, as far as it's uh, price of the fertilizer and stuff like that, i guess a lot, a lot more people are looking at beans and stuff this year on that route.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The fertilizer price is a little intimidating. And then what are you hearing at the border? I, I know you get a pretty good corn market if you can get across. Uh, are things loosening up there yet?
4: Well, a little bit. I mean, we've loaded trucks all winter long. I mean, they kept coming. So as far as that goes on the border. So I think they were down, they figured about 30% when they did the mandates at the border and so on like that.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out this year, no doubt about it. Uh, well, Andy, thank, yes. thank you so much for, for yep. being on with us today and, and talking a little about wheat and not even right. mentioning how you're going to beat Brian and me in the yield contest, that kind of things over the years. So I appreciate that, that you uh, took the high that, road, Andy. You
4: guys were... You guys were easy to beat eating (laughs) weed.
0: Oh yeah. It's it's always fun talking about. Well, that's why we're trying to get your secrets here and try and figure out exactly what you're doing in season. (laughs) Yeah. So now good luck to you and your family this year. Hopefully you guys have awesome crops. Yeah, thank you. Brian, uh now Andy mentioned this, he said uh, putting half up front, half in crop, he's going a little bit earlier probably than Chad is, but man, where he farms, you just don't know when that rain's going to come. And I, I kind of get it, getting it out there, making sure you're going to get some moisture on it is a big deal.
1: Well, that plus the fact that we're not talking about pure sand. When you have heavier ground, that allows you that flexibility to go a little bit earlier without having to worry about leaching. So that, that's really the biggest concern a lot of times nitrogen is it's going to leach away. Well, it doesn't happen if you've got heavy ground as easily. And then also, like you say, if you're in an area that doesn't get a lot of rainfall, your risk goes down even more. So anyway, I, I, I feel the same way on our farm. We're in an area where we have pretty heavy soil and we have very limited rainfall most of the time. So we always want to be on the early side rather than the late side. But we would really encourage you, if you're going to split apply your N in any crop, soil test. it. it costs so little it's like five bucks for a nitrate test and then you know what do I actually have in the ground and you can make better decisions for that nitrogen application we'll keep talking about stream barring and wheat and fertility and wheat right after this
2: the value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside that's why Morton buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
3: Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all
0: label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio. And we're talking about perhaps changing your practices in your wheat crop. And when I think about that, I think about looking at everything objectively, trying to find the best things that you can for yield. Uh, One of the best guys for that that I've ever met is Phil Needham with Needham Ag Technologies. Just does a fantastic job in wheat. Phil, thank you so much for joining
6: us today. Hey, Darren. How are you
0: doing, sir? Well, pretty good. I, I've always enjoyed talking with you, Phil, and and attending any place where you're speaking because you just look at the data and you you make observations of the crop. You try to get things better. And we were talking to a guest earlier on the show today and he said every time I try and push things, I end up with my wheat falling over. And that this can be a real challenge and nitrogen is certainly a part of that equation. We were talking about stream barring just for one thing, but when you're looking at wheat and and raising higher yields, what are a couple of the first steps that growers need to be taking?
6: Sure. So we need to be mindful of lodging because obviously if the wheat falls over, it takes a tremendous amount more time and it slows you down uh, from a point of view of picking it up off the ground. So we've got to keep that wheat crop standing up. And the first thing I think about is finding varieties that are either short – and preferably have a good stem quality so you can load up your nitrogen. Now I'm I'm always an advocate of post applying in according to yield potential, which is based on moisture and several other factors. But the bottom line is if you're in an area that can raise good wheat and you're putting plenty of nitrogen on to generate high yields, the last thing you want is a crop that falls over. So Starting out with good varieties with known potential in your area that stand good is really important, Darren. And we do a lot of strip trials and replicated trials looking at different varieties, pushing them to different degrees with higher nitrogen rates. And and we always try and find the ones that stand up good because those are generally the ones that yield the highest because they stand up and obviously don't present the harvesting challenges at harvest time.
0: I talk about the same thing in soybeans. Standability is just such a big factor for me. What do you think about uh, products like Palisade and and others that are designed to shorten the crop? Have you had success
6: with those? So we've worked with Palisade, I think, since 2005, and it might have been 2002. We did some EUP work uh, via a crop destruct with Syngenta, and we looked at that compound for at least three years before it was expected to be registered, and I think they ran into some hurdles, and it was dramatically later when it got released, maybe 2012 or 14, if I remember right. But that's a good product. It definitely shortens the variety by perhaps 4 to 6 inches and stiffens the stems. The taller varieties that are generally 36 to 38 inches in height, a full label rate of Palisade would generally drop them about 6 inches, if it's a shorter variety that we like to plant, which is 32 to 34 inches, let's say on average, it would probably shorten them by 4 inches. And I'm, I'm being general, but I'm pretty close. But it's a good product, and it works as advertised. I just really don't want to spend 14 to $16 an acre on that product if we can find a variety that's short, that stands well, that doesn't need the palisade. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, I sure get that. Yeah, if you can just avoid having this problem of something that's too tall to begin with, that's that's kind of a good situation to be in. And normally, fourteen to sixteen dollars is a lot of money in a wheat crop right now with today's wheat price. That's not too bad. That doesn't <laughs> sound super expensive to me. So I may be willing to to do some different things this year. And I, I'm betting that a lot of our listeners today are thinking, man, I'm really going to go for it in wheat today and I'm going to push things. Um, when we look at in-season nitrogen applications, is one time enough? Should we be doing multiple applications in crop? It's kind of nice if you got tram lines. You can do it if you want to.
6: That's absolutely right. And to go back to the lodging topic, you know, we've found many, many times over many, many years growers that have done side-by-side comparisons, and we encourage growers to do that, but we've seen many, many times where a grower put all of his N on in one application, had significantly more lodging than the same amount of N applied in two shots. We really encourage guys to put the second application on it, ideally second joint, when the crop is typically... 12 to 16 inches tall, something like that, depending on the region, the moisture, and the variety. But if you can delay that second application until that second joint or approximately second joint, you'll see dramatically better standability, plus protein too if you've got hard wheat.
0: Yeah, that protein is uh, is a big deal. We get a lot of questions about that, and many of the studies have shown having good nitrogen availability late in the season is, is really a key there. How about sulfur? I, I have a lot of guys that we talk to that say, man, getting more sulfur out there has helped them with protein too.
6: Yeah, I'm sure sulfur is a component in protein that's important, and I really encourage growers to get soil tests and tissue tests both. And I caution them on the tissue test because sometimes we get soil tests that show good or at least average levels of sulfur, but the tissue tests come back low. And then you get to looking at the crop and maybe it's drought stressed, maybe it's in a a saturated set of conditions. We've had a lot of rain. We've had four or five inches in the last three days. So pulling a tissue test, if that crop is in any kind of physical stress, you're probably not going to get the best interpretation from a tissue test. But assuming your crop is actively growing, it's healthy, yes, i definitely look at the tissue test, i definitely look at the soil test, and if you seed low levels of sulfur, I would certainly encourage a grower to put sulfur on. If they've got sandy soils, you know, three, five, seven CECs, and they've had a history of sulfur responses in the past when they've done some trials, I definitely encourage sulfur. I just feel like there's the regions of the country that have had a history of sulfur applications, their organic matter is higher, and they've not got the, the low CEC soils, and they're using sulfur, and it's all about spending money and allocating whatever money a girl wants to spend as wisely as possible. So if it's sandy, low CEC, low organic matter... I think there's a good response available to sulphur, especially if that grower hasn't had a history of sulphur applications. That's a given. But if it's a deeper soil, higher organic matter, the grower has had a a history of sulphur in the form of MESZ or, or other products, the the response probability drops off pretty pretty fast. And in those situations, if the if the amount of money the grower has to spend is somewhat limited. I would be looking at applying a couple of different fungicides, ideally one at full flag leaf emergence, one at flowering for fusarium control. That generally gets you the highest return on your money spent of any other application outside of nitrogen, that is, especially if it's a higher disease year, especially if there's a lot of fusarium, okay?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen the same thing. and, And that is so important. There are just a lot of steps that go into having a successful wheat crop. And we've talked about several of them here. And for me, if I can avoid the lodging problem, now high yield is possible. And then we hit nutrients right. We protect that plant through the season. And, wow, we're set up to, uh, to get some big-time yields. And like you had mentioned too, Phil, just you've only got so many dollars, whether that's a large amount or a small amount, you still want to allocate every one of them to the best possible return on investment. And you've certainly given us some great ideas here on, on where, which way to go with some of those dollars. Uh, Phil, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. I, I know you always have great tips for, for growers in wheat. And uh, Is the best place to find more information from you at NeedhamAgTechnologies.com?
6: Yes, sir. That's the website, needamag.com. Thank you,
0: Darren. You bet. Thanks a lot, Phil. Really appreciate it. Uh, Brian, know, as we look at at uh, some of these things here that, that Phil said, to me, the lodging one, that's a huge one, that if we have crop fall over, we just have so much stress on that crop and, and not much opportunity. And it's really hard to control disease. So I think that one, yep. boy, you got to keep that in mind. Yeah. So...
1: It is a challenge, though, depending on where you're at, because if you don't have irrigation, you don't have lots of rainfall, and you don't have lighter soil, it's really hard to get more potassium and some of these nutrients into the plant later on. So you got to work on building the soil. And, I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into it. We'll talk a little more about wheat fertility coming up right after this.
6: Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or
7: another event, you may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides
0: faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get
6: Panther Power in your tank.
7: Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience,
3: the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean—they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k-y-b-e-r herbicide.com/soy. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label
5: directions.
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us here in the Morton studio. We are talking about stream barring and wheat, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD.
1: All right, so we were talking about wheat fertility in general right before the break, and I had just made the comment, if you want strong stocks, then you've got to get potassium out there. That's by far and away number one in terms of fertility. Now, the other thing you can do, obviously, is cut your seeding population. So we've done that with our cover crop. We've even done that with just some of these small grains that we've raised on our farm. If we want better standability, we just reduce the rate. See, I mean, that, that does help. But ultimately, you got to get that potassium up, and if you don't address that in advance, and in some cases I might be talking a year or two in advance, then it's hard to get potassium into the plant. So, for example, if I haven't done anything and I, got, I look at my soil test and I go, ooh, man, i got 1.5% base saturation K, um, that's going to be a problem. Well, too late, I already seeded the wheat. Well, now what are you going to do? And we, we talk about stream barring. And that was really one of the things we started with today with wheat. Well, stream barring is great for nitrogen, for sulfur, for boron. The problem is you can put a little K out there with the stream bar, but how are you going to get that into the plant? And with potassium, we don't just need a couple pounds or a pound or a half pound like we do with boron. We need hundreds of pounds depending on your yield. So to make the full correction we need to it's got to start early. That's all I'm saying. But again, for nitrate, sulfate, boron, I mean, those things are great with the stream bar. You can do that mid-season, heavy soil, light soil, whatever you want to do, but we we just really encourage you do soil tests in advance and then before you put more nitrogen out mid-season please just pull a, a soil nitrate test. It's so cheap, so easy, but then you'll you'll really know. And the big reason why we're bringing this up today is look at the fertilizer prices today. They're three times what they were a year and a half ago. So I, I get it that commodity prices are a lot higher, and I'm not saying, oh, farmers are going broke or anything like that. I mean, we all have the chance to make some, hopefully at least, some decent money this year. I'm just suggesting that if you're going to invest money in something, that you invest it as wisely as you can. And the more data you have, the more soil tests or just overall information, then hopefully the better job you can do spending that money wisely. So be a little cautious. Don't just automatically assume, oh, I got to throw more nitrogen out on everything. Maybe, maybe not. And I do want to come back to, it's not always about yield. So with corn, that's almost all we talk about. But in wheat, there's also this protein component. And if you don't have available nitrogen late in the season, you're going to have lower protein levels. That's a fact. So you've got to have that that nitrogen available late. Now, you might get it because you might have a warm year and your organic matter is mineralizing. It's breaking down. It's releasing nitrogen. Well, if you've got lots of organic matter in the soil, that might be enough. But if you don't, then that's where a lot of times a later season application can make a difference. And it doesn't have to be stream bar. You certainly could do something sprayed out with a sprayer foliar, but when you do that, you gotta be really careful about rates. You want to water it down so you don't burn that crop so much. So that's our big concern there. All right. I think that's about all I got on wheat fertility. Darren, anything else you wanted to add?
0: Nope, but we got some more fertility questions for you if you're ready for this. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. So we got a couple things here. We got a manure a pile there of manure stuff, and then here's the soil samples. So Jason picked up a new field in east-central Iowa, and he said, uh, I rented this farm. Would like your opinion on these soil samples. Base saturation and micros around the smallest report. Uh, basically, uh, on pages 1 and 2, you got most of the nutrients, but on 3 and 4, there's the um, base saturations and stuff. They couldn't all fit on the one page the way they printed them. Uh, but anyway, he said... Uh, Just curious what you think about that farm. It's going to corn. It had swine manure fall applied after these tests. Uh, Cereal rye cover crop is growing on it right now. Uh, 2,500 gallons of manure was injected, and I'm looking at that manure. It looks to me like a 39, 1939 kind of test. Uh, So times whatever, two and a half, that would be roughly what you got. Uh, I'm using an inferro nitrogen fixing biological. And I put 10 gallons per acre of a 50 50, uh, 32% ammonium thiosulfate. Okay, this is a lot of details. What's the question ultimately? Well, what would you put? What would you put out there? He said, what micros would you recommend in (laughs) furrow? And what would you just, what do you notice overall?
1: Okay, well, here's the first thing that I notice on the manure test, there's no salt reading, unless I've missed it somewhere, and maybe because there are lots of pages here, but I don't. I don't think that I did, but I, I want to know how much salt we have. That That's that's one of my biggest concerns, because if you start getting too much salt out there, you're going to damage your crop. So I don't have that, and I'd really like that. So in the future, when you have manure tests run, just tell them, look, I got I got to know how much salt I've I'll got throw, for every Throw that manure
0: gallons. test back at me. I'll dig around on that a little uh,
1: bit. Uh, I, 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 yeah, here. Let me, let me rip off the first page and you can look at the rest of it because this is basically telling me what I need and all the nutrients. Okay, so the great thing about, one of the great things about manure is it has micronutrients in it. It Just even on this test here, there's some zinc, some iron, manganese, copper, almost no boron, but a little bit. So I, it, it makes me happy when I get a, I'm not going to say it's a balanced product, but it does at least have Pretty much all the nutrients you need. It might not be at the right ratio or anything like that. But anyway, that part's good. And so because of that, am I super worried about a lot of your micronutrients? Probably not. I, I guess let's start with this. When I look at soil pH here, uh I'm if I can find it. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's all across the board. And I see as low as 5.6, I see as high as 7.3. Uh, I'm trying to see if I find anything higher. Hey, 7.5, something like that. So anyway, if you've got something that's really low for pH, then you, you want to get a little bit of lime out there. If you got something high for pH, then we're typically asking ourselves, hey, what, what nutrients are out of balance? What's causing that problem? So I've, I've got this pH that has now crept up over time. And let's see. If I look at what is out of balance you know i i don't just right off that right off the bat i don't see anything that's super bad other than your mag- magnesium is a little high and that's probably driven up the soil ph so when we start talking 30 percent magnesium that's usually a pretty tight poorly drained soil and along with that a lot of times if we can number one fix the drainage and number two we continue adding sulfur, then a lot of times those issues start to go away. We need to get things in balance a little bit and the magnesium's just a little high. Don't get too alarmed about it, but over time we do want to address that. So I would say this, when we look at sulfur in your manure, you're going to have a fair amount of sulfur, but it's certainly not an overwhelming amount. And when I look at the soil test, you're talking 10, uh, 10 parts per million. So like 20 pounds the acre, that's not enough to raise a fantastic crop. So I'm just saying I would keep pushing the sulfur, making sure you got plenty of sulfur out there, because to me, that looks like one of the things that's a little concerning. And then the other thing is your boron is really low. So we're talking 0.3 parts per million. So to raise great corn and soybeans, I'd be pushing that a little bit as well. Beyond that, um, I'd say make sure you're keeping your phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper kind of in ratio. With phosphorus to zinc, it's around 10 to 1. Phosphorus to copper, at least what we found, is around 30 to 1. So right now, I don't see anything that's real alarming there, but I would just say as you continue to put more manure on, if your phosphorus levels start to go up, then you got to pay attention to what's happening with the zinc and copper, but no real problems right now. I just bring that up simply because... It, there are a lot of manure samples here, which tells me it it feels like you want to put more manure on in the future. I don't have any problem with that. These, this ground needs to, be, needs to continue to get built up. It's not like super overly rich or anything else. And it doesn't appear that we have major sodium problems. So
0: I don't have any issue putting more manure on. All right. I did find something out about the salt. And they don't really give you a number, but they say the maximum rates here are to prevent the buildup of salt and keep the... E-C-E at or below 4 and that that's kind of interesting I haven't seen it represented that way before hey thanks for the tests and good luck to you this spring really appreciate that we'll be right back with more of your questions after this
3: here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators.
4: Yeah, I'm Wayne Bossman from down here by Park, South Dakota. And I was very impressed how they came up quicker and they're just going to look like a better stand and just greener and just a little taller all, all year, as dry as it was. I think they really made a difference. Really looking forward to using them this year.
3: See more of what our fans are saying and order today for spring delivery at farmshopmfg.com.
0: Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day.
5: Warehouse, what can we do for you?
0: Yeah, I'm looking for some
7: nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check.
0: Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Envita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans.
7: Yeah, we're all out, but... You know
5: what? I'll take some of that Envita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend.
0: Book your Envita while supplies last.
1: Two by two by two systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake. Both sides of the row, three inches from the seed, and just three quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit, in stock and ready to ship. Learn more at
2: 360yieldcenter.com.
5: Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next Gen nitrogen stabilizer from Corteva Agriscience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return, investment, investment, great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. Uh-oh. It's that simple. Instinct Next Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AgPhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844 44 agphd, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got a number of questions that came in here from Bradley, uh, and he said, I got a couple of nutrient questions for you and for uh, herbicide questions too. He said, First of all, can you blend authority with valor? In order to get less plant-back restrictions from the authorities, you could use a lower rate. Okay. You can only put so much PPO
1: out there. So it's the Valor label is going to tell you the same thing that the authority label is. Basically, don't do it. Now, if you want to think logically about it, and let us I'm not suggesting you do this because this isn't labeled. All right. But I'm just saying, if technically you went a half rate of valor and a half rate of authority, could you possibly get by with that? You know, you possibly could. But again, I'm not going to recommend that. We don't encourage you to mix them. You got to do one or the
0: other. Here's just his thinking. He said, I don't like the four-month and 10-month plant back to corn and wheat. I'd like to lower it to three and eight if possible. I was just thinking about having both normal rates and combining them and wondering if I would still get the same control and if I would hurt the crop.
1: Uh, you probably would be just fine. I, I can't imagine that there would be a problem. And remember that they they, they put certain things on the label, and you got to think logically about this. All right, the, the label is going to say the exact same thing for let's say carryover in North Dakota as it is in Alabama. In some cases, well, does that make any sense in the world? Not a bit. So. When when you when you're in North Dakota, and it's frozen half the year, and I I mean I can't say much. I'm in South Dakota; it's frozen almost half the year, and then in Alabama, just as an example, they get three times the rainfall we do, and their ground may never freeze. So I mean, just think about the breakdown of any herbicide; it's definitely going to be different. So yeah, ultimately, you're the farmer; you're responsible for your ground. You got to use your head a little bit, and the more you study these things, the more you can come up with your own ideas and do whatever you want but just be careful because ultimately the labels the law and we don't want you having problems out in your field
0: Okay, Uh, other question that Bradley had, and this is related to corn stalks and the availability of nutrients as those corn stalks break down. So I got a few little questions here. I'm going to piggyback on each other, so let me read all these first. He said, uh, I'm curious about the nutrient availability of corn stalks, particularly in soybeans after corn. I've got a regular corn head. I'm wondering, would the nutrients come available faster? in a bean canopy, do certain nutrients make it to Wait, the Wait, what soybeans? do you mean in fast? a bean canopy? I don't know. Okay. And he said, do certain nutrients make it to the soybean faster? If so, which ones? And can I cut back on potassium if there's a bunch of potassium in those corn stalks?
1: Uh, yes, you can cut back on potassium if there's a bunch of potassium in the corn stalks. But the fact of the matter is uh, a lot of the potassium that was in the corn stalks has already flushed out by the time you get to harvest. Even then, when you break, when that residue starts breaking down, potassium usually comes out of there first. Keep in mind, too, there's a massive amount of potassium that has been in the overall stover. But also, remember, half your stover is below ground. Roots are roughly half the stover for a lot of crops, like corn. So I wouldn't think that, Oh, I, I mean, I, I go out and soil test in, let's call it the middle of November or early November, and after that, I, I mean, between then and, let's call it June, that I'm going to have all this extra potassium that's now coming available for my soybeans? No way we haven't found that to be true. Which nutrients are going to come available first? Well, again, there isn't a lot left in the stock, especially potassium, but there is some. Uh, So I I just I don't count on that stock for much because here's the problem nobody knows how much rain you're gonna have how much heat you're gonna have how quickly the bacteria are gonna break things down so I'm I'm really not counting on much out of that and you can run your own experiments and see okay well, well if I do this or if I do that well how does that turn out but don't forget your crop shouldn't ever be short, especially in a year like this when we have fantastic commodity prices. So I'm not taking any chances in a year like this, even though fertilizers high priced. And I'm not saying I want to spend a gazillion dollars, but I do want to invest some money to make sure my crop doesn't run short on nutrients. But anyway, uh, in terms of this bean canopy thing, I, I guess I I don't know what exactly that means, but I'll I'll just say this the the breakdown of residue is going to be faster the more tillage you do the more air that you introduce into the soil the more bacteria and fungi are breaking things down the more you use microbial products there are microbial products decomps one we use to help break residue down faster and then it's heat and it's rainfall so And and time, obviously. So I, I, I don't know with a bean canopy, no bean canopy. I don't know if there's a dramatic difference and I don't know exactly what the question is. So if you get a more specific question, let us know.
0: I get this from JM in Southeast Pennsylvania. I've been raising continuous soybeans for 10 years, but I have winter annual weeds like chickweed for example that uh-huh. get growing out in the field and my field's pretty green in the spring when I do my burn down. I'm just curious, does the growth of green weeds contribute to soil organic matter you as bet. well? Absolutely. I- I mean, I
1: I, I hate to call it this because I don't want you raising a whole bunch of weeds out in your field, but weeds can absolutely be a cover crop. There's nothing wrong with that at the time that it's a cover crop. Now, there is something wrong once it's in your crop because then it's going to be hurting your yield most likely. Don't forget, too, if you let anything grow green into the spring, that's pulling moisture out. It's pulling nutrients out in the spring. So in some geographies, just fine. I have no real big worries. But in my geography, I get really concerned about that because some years we're bone dry and I need every drop of moisture I can get. And I also worry that if I don't do tillage, then that residue isn't going to break down soon enough to help my crop early in the season. So anyway, in terms of control of chickweed, I don't worry about that too much. If you wanted to, you certainly could go spray in the fall and kill any any winter annual weeds, then. A lot of people use Valor. Some people will use Dicamba if it's in front of extend beans, 2,4 D in front of enlist beans. Roundup would kill most winter annuals. You got lots of options in the fall.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. I get this one from Anita and she sent a picture of her with her dad in and that's so cool. Hey, Anita, thank you so much. She she said, Every day's Father's Day when you're farming together. And uh, she, she said quite a few nice things here. And and she also said, we never complain about rain as drought is too close. But the spring itch is getting pretty intense. They're excited to get back out in the field. Hey, thank you, Anita. Really appreciate that. Uh, glad glad your dad got, uh, it looks like you got him some gifts perhaps. And that's that's awesome and thank you so much for your support we really appreciate it
1: hey you know she made this comment we never complain about rain i was just thinking i kind of do complain about rain sometimes but it's it's not really that as much as it is I'm not praying for rain. I'm praying for drought in the winter because I don't want snow. And I'm praying for drought right now, just for another couple of weeks, so we can put the crop in. (laughs) So, very short term. I know my prayers are super specific here, but I'm trying to do everything I can to raise the best crop. And I know if I plant early, then I get plenty of rain, usually my crop turns out better.
0: All right, uh, I get this one in for Bryce who says, I'm trying to better understand compost and using it in my soil. I don't understand the material in the soil. Where can I find that info? Also, how does chicken litter and pig manure affect my compost? So say it one more time. about. Th- I'll let th- you try and read that because I think <laughs> sometimes sometimes when you write kind of shortened sentences, it makes it a little bit confusing.
1: Oh, just, yeah, just trying to better understand compost. I, I, I mean... It's partially broken down residue, so I don't know how to explain it super well either, but just think about compost very similar to what you would manure. It's just manure. A lot of the stuff in there is available today. Compost, more of it is available slowly over time. The other thing is you can turn manure into compost. There are a lot of people that do that and The advantage is once it's in the compost form, it's much more environmentally friendly today. You don't have to worry so much about runoff or anything like that. And also those nutrients, they are kind of locked up a little bit and they're going to come available over time. The other big advantage in turning manure into compost is the pile is going to heat way up. And when that happens, it kills a lot of pathogens. It kills some weed seeds some of the diseases that we might normally deal with. So it's just a little bit safer. It's like potting soil. That's basically what you get when you've got compost.
0: And thanks for the questions. Uh, We really appreciate that. And yeah, it's it's a year where we're looking for every source of fertility that we can fertilizer is kind of expensive compost and manure certainly can be really good options. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD radio.